All right. So, um, in our study together this morning, I'd like for us to think about a few statements by Paul uh, that happen to do with the fact that this is my last sermon here, for the time being at least. Uh, and I want us to note that as I start this, the, t- the title, Finally My Brethren, doesn't ignore the sisters here. Uh, of course, brethren is an all-inclusive term, and I think that's how Paul used it. I don't think Paul was excluding the sisters in terms of who he was talking to in these letters that, and the verses that we're going to be looking at, but I kind of hope that this can sort of be a bookend for many of the things that I've been trying to say as I've been here and as our work together ends, now I know it's going to be kind of anticlimactic because I'm going to be here next Sunday not doing anything, but that's okay. Uh, as our work here together ends, a new stage begins. And it's important to kind of take note and just think in times like this. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the day when we can all be prosperous and strong in his might, that each individual here We'll keep developing in positive ways that benefit the whole group. And I just want to say before I begin, watch out for each other and edify each other. We'll be thinking and praying about each other. But uh, three basic things I'd like to share this morning. Uh, And and these are just basically uh, summations of these verses we're going to be going over. First of all, and, and I think these are all things that I hope for for North Columbus, not just North Columbus, but for Golden Springs or any congregation. Become complete. Be strong and rejoice, and think on good things and pray for us. All of these statements that Paul has in these particular verses of finally my brethren, and it's fascinating too when you get to Philippians, because he says finally my brethren, then he keeps going on for quite a while. So, uh, you know, which the lovely thing about that letter is that it's, it's like a letter to a friend. It's not strictly uh, ordered out like the Corinthian letters, for example. But... I think in looking at this, it can kind of hopefully serve as sort of a tail end of of my uh, pulpit work here uh, to some degree and hopefully of our work together here at North Columbus. Become complete. Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The God of love and peace will be with you. The King James mentions this to be perfect, be com- become complete, be perfect. But I want us to recognize this is not a sinless perfection. This is a cleansing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I need to believe that. I need to live that in such a way that I take that to its natural end goal. Where I'm not simply happy with the first cleansing I get as a Christian, but as ongoing, I become more and more complete or perfected in the scope of my life. Be of good comfort. That term, good comfort, according to Vines, means to call to one's side, hence to call to one's aid. I think this speaks of edification, that we are to encourage or edify each other. And this, of course, takes multiple forms. We can have individual uh, encouragement. We can have public encouragement. 
We can have individual admonishment and public admonishment, maybe uh, congregational discipline. And I think it all kind of depends upon the situation. For example, if someone reveals to another a habitual sin they're struggling with that doesn't affect anyone but them, it will edify no one to spread such a matter publicly. Likewise, if a brother or sister reveals a sin that involves others and is known in the community, it will edify no one to try to ignore it or rationalize it. And so, again, it depends upon the situation. How do we edify anything that is authorized, that provides growth according to the Bible, should help us understand that this is of good comfort. And we want to recognize that a lack in our approach with each other, by definition, destroys any possibility of good comfort. If I don't know a brother or sister, I don't really know the best way to build them up. If I don't spend time with them, and get to know them as a person. My work of edification with them as fellow Christians is going to be negatively impacted. Now, I'm sure we could say, well, the Bible tells us how to build up each other. Sure, absolutely. But our approaches are going to be distinct, just like in evangelism, right? I'm not going to use the same approach on one person. Uh, for example, uh, I wouldn't use the approach of, uh, uh, that I would use toward one person who is maybe an Apollos. He's got just about everything ready. He just needs one more, one or two more things. I'm not going to use the same approach with them as somebody who uh, is an atheist, right? So it's going to be completely different. In the same way, our edification needs to meet the needs of what's going on. So good comfort, to call to one side. It's just, I think about a side hug and just saying, you know, hey, you know, you got this. You can do this, that sort of thing. He mentions one mind, be of one mind. And I think this should be pretty obvious to this crowd. And we talk about unity. We talk about uh, working toward the unity of the faith. And we want to remember that in Ephesians 4, there are two unities. There is the unity of the spirit that we assume, that we just get. That's something we need to keep. But Paul then says we work toward the unity of the faith, and that is a lifelong goal. And so be of one mind. Again, all of this is a progressive, uh, I don't mean progressive, but progression together. Here's a big one. Live in peace. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. How do we do that, Paul? Well, Vines mentions that to bring to peace or to reconcile in that meaning. Also, in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, remember this truism. I say this is a truism. In the context, he's talking about idols. But he says in the midst of that verse, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Without an atmosphere of love and peace, we will never grow. If we're constantly picking each other apart, there will be nothing left at this congregation to teach others about and guide them toward. Lots of things, I think, have been on my mind over the past couple of months, and I just wanted to say, sort of on my way out here, may I suggest as you study the topics that have really come to light, that brethren are struggling with right now, topics like the nature of the assembly, topics like the church and the government and what the response should be when the government lays certain restrictions down, 
May I suggest as you discuss these things, let your priority not be to win arguments, but to save souls. And I want to say this too. When we talk about living in peace, this is all done in the context of proper obedience to the Lord. We cannot have peace and ignore sin. And we appreciate the good He has accomplished in us and all the beneficial relationships we can have with brethren and even with sinners. I think there's a ton in that verse for us to think about and consider. Next, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. Again, the theme here is to be complete or to be completed, progress toward where you ought to be. The term you should abound or the phrase you should abound means to be abundantly furnished, to abound in a thing. What's fascinating, when you go and look at houses, and Sharon and I have been looking at houses, you see some houses that are, you know, super empty, right? But you see some houses, maybe they're still living there. And maybe you think, wow, they got a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, you know, you start to think, man, I'm glad I don't have to move them out. Uh, here's the thing, to be abundantly furnished, to abound in a thing. What, how, what do our spiritual houses look like? Are they barren? Do they have maybe some dust bunnies in the corner? Or are they abundantly furnished? The term more and more, more willingly, more readily, sooner. I, I, I think about that, and I think about how so many of us as we get older, we can become complacent. We can think, well, this is the way I want things to be, and you know, we don't really have to change too much. But there is a sense where we increase in that need as time goes on, if we're doing it biblically. The key to completion is to increase. There is no plateau in the development of the kingdom citizen. Uh, Looking briefly at John 15. John 15, please. And again, these verses are going to be familiar to us. John 15 and verse 2. Every branch in me, Jesus says, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is clear in everything we see about gardening and things like that. It's very clear to see this. Verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We need the faith to know that when the time comes for us to leave this life, that God has offered us every opportunity that we need to be all that we can be for him. And that's why I don't really worry too much about dying. I, I know maybe, I, maybe that this sounds uh, prideful or whatever, but I, I think about it and it's like, by the time I'm, I, I die, I will have had all the opportunities I've had. And I will either have acted upon all those opportunities or I, I, I wouldn't have. And there's a sense of, comfort and peace in that to know that that if there's something wrong he's going to make it clear to me if there's something wrong i'm going to be able to see that and be able to act on that and i want to have that kind of faith the mindset of onward and upward is needed here a constant improvement in recognition of our own deficiency of our own lack and god's full supply how do i get to where i need to be i need to know that he's already there 
and I encourage myself to get where he is. Well, secondly, be strong and rejoice. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word strong, uh, endunamao, uh, look that up on Blue Letter Bible, but uh, that word strong means to make strong. Uh, if you remember, Brother Gary likes to bring this up, dunamis, to strengthen. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible puts it this way, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. How repetitive. But here's the thing we want to get from this. That power is not in us, right? That power is in him. Paul says in Romans 1.16, Brother Gary mentions from time to time, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and for also for the Greek. Recall that the strength is in him and not us. We're only strong at all if we're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not in big numbers. It's not in popularity. It's not in wealth. It's not in worldly wisdom. It's not in the, the community recognizing who we are. That's not where our strength is even. Our strength is in God. And whatever else happens, whatever, whatever the community thinks of us, whatever, how, whatever notoriety we achieve, it all comes back to him. He is the source of it all. And when we begin to say that we can do this or we can do that, we've left that strength. We don't get to define the terms of what strength means. And so discernment takes precedence here. I believe there are congregations in this world that are small and struggling out in the middle of nowhere that are stronger congregations than ones in big cities that have upwards of 200 or 300 people. I don't know that for sure. But you just think about the law of averages. That's probably the case. <laughs> I don't know for sure. But we've we got to challenge ourselves on what strength means. Because we get wrapped up in this world and we think, well, that's what strength's got to look like. No, it doesn't. Paul tells us about be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong, be strengthened by him and by his vast strength. Philippians 3 and verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For, to me, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul has such warmness in that letter, as I mentioned, and this is no exception. But he wants them to rejoice primarily because their work together is unhindered. He is clear in writing to them, that, that writing to them is not a burden for him. And what's amazing about this, this is not tedious for me. Where's Paul? He's a prisoner at that time. So he is a prisoner at that point. But he is focused upon their spiritual safety. The purpose is for their spiritual safety. What's Paul doing and what are we doing? Are we rejoicing in the truth or are we complaining? Are we complaining about, well, you know, I just don't think, I don't think this is really being done the way I would like it to be done? Are we nitpicking at others and trying to pull things apart and say, well, you know, this is just not the way that I think it ought to be done? Paul also mentions that, that next verse, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. May I suggest that the reason why he says that is because he has saying before, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Him, and it's not tedious. 
the thing is, if we rejoice in the Lord and if we rejoice in his truth, it will always help us appreciate God's glory and it will always help us to expose evil workers. If we spend all of our time focusing on one specific problem, maybe we just have a pet topic that we just want to keep bringing up over and over and over and over and over and over again. If that's all we ever talk about, then we may miss some things that a general diet of God's truth will help us to see. I use that term diet in quotes because the congregation needs a spiritual diet. And we need to make sure we're getting everything, not just certain things. We don't want to just feed our children chicken nuggets, right? We want to make sure they have a good balanced diet so they can grow up properly. It's the same thing in the congregation. Also, those who seek to manipulate others to their viewpoint will thrive on distracting us with lesser matters than those that affect our eternal salvation. 1 Timothy 4. I I like how the King James says it. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. All those things do is bring up question marks. So here's the thing. We need to be thinking about, okay, if we're going to rejoice in the Lord and have a, a useful time together, we better not be throwing question marks out there all the time. We better be standing on the word and letting God show us the way to go. Sure, we need to ask questions. There's no, no doubt about that. But if all we're doing is needling away at smaller things and we're bringing up questions about those things, that's not a healthy atmosphere. So there are just some things that we need to think about. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Him. And if we rejoice in Him, it will prepare us for the things that we have to work on. Finally, think on good things and pray for us. And again, I know many of this will be uh, very basic, but uh, it's good for us to remind ourselves of these things as well. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, that's his second finally in that letter. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We need to consider verses like this when we find ourselves consumed with the negativity of the world. We have been steeped in that over the past couple of months, and it feels like it's getting worse. Are we constantly voicing criticism of how others are acting? Is that all we're ever talking about, is how bad the world is and how bad things are, yet never truly working to encourage good within ourselves? There's a fellow that came into the jewelry store one time, and uh, he started telling me about these people that uh, he, he, he just doesn't like people of different colors. And uh, so I don't really know exactly what to say, but he tries to say, you know, God, God doesn't want them mixed up with us. And so I started to kind of bring up Acts 17. I was like, you know, Paul said something about that. Paul said we're all made of one blood. And, oh, uh, you know. So you, you want to bring up God in that conversation, but then when you're brought up to Scripture, you're just going to keep complaining. Okay? That's the thing. That's the problem there, Right? Uh, we're of no use to anyone if negativity and bitterness is breeding within us. And a good mindset begins with what comes out of our hearts. Luke six forty five, 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What's fascinating sometimes, too, is that you see more of someone through their children than you will through them. And uh, I, I don't know exactly uh, how to say that exactly, but the, out of the abundance of the heart, that's where these things are treasured and stored. And they will come out, whether if, if not right now in the Day of Judgment. And so from this, when we think about good things, when we think about positive things, when we think about things that will, will be helpful, you know, I think about Luke 18 and verse 9. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. God is the one who decides what good is. He is the reference for all of that. And so we let him define that good. We let him define the things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue and praiseworthy. All of that is God's wheelhouse and is not up to us to decide what's good or what's bad. And so we need to be thinking about the things that he wants, to think, wants us to think about. We may very well think on something we think is good and end up with negative thoughts and intents against the truth of God. We may very well speculate on things that God's word says nothing about. And we have to be careful with our speculation and leave the truth in his hands. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. I hope this doesn't come across as uh, selfish or self-interested per se, but we need your prayers as we're going to Anniston. And we want to give you all our prayers as well. And this is a sharing, right? And so I just want to generally share some quick points on prayer that we find from the scriptures. And again, I I may have shared these things before, but first of all, we ask for what God provides, what God wants to provide. And of course, not what we should enjoy or desire. James 4 and verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, then you may spend it on your pleasures. You're just asking what you, all, all it is is what you desire. But let's study the scriptures and find out what does God want from me? What does God desire for my life? I need to be praying about that. And the wonderful thing about this, and I'll steal this from from Tom Holly, if you ask for what God wants to give you, isn't the answer always going to be yes? Always will be. Ask for what God wants to provide. Ask for necessities, not only desires. Matthew 6, and of course we could read the whole passage in Matthew 6 to know more about this, but in Matthew 6, 7 and 8, Jesus says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Then in verse 11, in the middle of his prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And a good question is, why didn't Jesus just say, give us bread for the rest of our lives and just be done with it? It's because we need a daily remembrance that we're getting day by day here. This is what God has given us to be. Give thanks liberally. Give thanks liberally. Psalm 100 and verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Once upon a time when I was uh, preaching in Pinson in Alabama, lost a game. I mean, uh, 
I think I saw some brethren coming in that were not coming in to the gates thankful. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, we got to remember, be thankful to him and bless his name, no matter what happens. There's no qualification to that. There's no saying, as long as things are going okay, be thankful. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So give thanks liberally. And finally, honor his power and authority. Matthew 6.13, the sense where at the end of that prayer, he's saying, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Recognizing his authority, recognizing his kingship, and that he is in control. And we're not the ones in control. It's so important for us to remember when we're praying. So I I say all that to to bring this up. Pray for the Lord's work here in Columbus. That's number one. Pray that God encourages a working spirit here. Pray that God amplifies your zeal and your evangelism. Pray that God blesses this congregation with an atmosphere of peace and a striving toward complete unity so that you will grow spiritually and numerically. Thank him for your fellow saints. Do not forget or exclude the weak. Secondly, please pray for the Lord's work in Anniston. Um, There are a lot of interesting challenges, I think, that are ahead. There are some families there that I would say uh, maybe need some good teaching and need some encouraging. And uh, just pray for us in that work and pray pray for them especially uh, that, uh, that as time goes on, that those things can increase and that the work over there can flourish as well. So... I'm thankful for my years here. I'm thankful uh, for all of you and your support uh, over the past few years. Grateful for your encouragement and your help and all your advice and all your good counsel. And uh, hopefully we'll move forward in God's kingdom in good ways. If what we've talked about this morning has encouraged you to respond to the gospel call, we, we hope that you'll act on that this morning. Um, hear the words of Jesus concerning salvation and what we ought to be doing. Will you act upon that? Will you respond to his call? If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one. And if you are a Christian, there's something you need to confess or you need the prayers of the brethren. Please come forward, respond to the gospel call as we stand and say. God, call